Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week we are going to be discussing the empath and perfectionism, which I think is a really important topic, Denise. I think with social media and these Instagram celebrities and all this illusionary picture we're always given of how everything is supposed to look, this idea of being perfect is rampant in society right now. I agree. And I think that it's becoming even more and more so, especially, and I've thought about this from uh, an age-related like I had a lot of eight, a lot of years of my life where this wasn't an issue, but then I see that the millennials and people under a certain age, this has been their entire existence on the planet. And I think that that's a very, I'm trying to catch up with that, but I think the perfectionism thing can be also a very innate characteristic of someone who's an empath or a highly sensitive person. I do too. I do too. You know, empaths, highly sensitive people tend to feel that we have this sense of purpose, that there's a reason why we're here, that we have a mission, something important that we need to share with the world. And I think empaths feel this more succinctly and clearly than the average person. And this feeling of not I'm special, but this feeling of I am here to give back in some meaningful way. I am here to do something that's going to help others. It often leads empaths to feel as though they aren't living up to their potential. And this sense of a mission or a purpose that's often undefined can be really vague and it leads to this feeling of failure. And I think that's sometimes for some empaths at the root of this need to be perfect. Do you agree? I do. I do. And I had read this little blurb when I was doing some research for the show on perfectionism being an attempt to try to fit in to not feel different, to not feel in, inadequate, to fight feeling anxious about being different. And I think with what you just said and with that little little blurb, that's so much of how many of us try to navigate being here. Yes. Well, I think there are two fears at the heart of perfectionism, the fear of failure and the fear of rejection. I agree. Because so many times empaths, we're people pleasers. We are here trying to make everyone feel better, trying to rescue others, trying to fix people, trying to be of service. And often at the heart of that is this fear of rejection. Now, also at the root of this need to be perfect can be people who grew up in a system of reward, punishment, and criticism. You know, like if you had parents who were like, oh, you got excellent grades, we're going to give you money, we're going to buy you new clothes, we're going to take you out to dinner, and then you come home with one bad grade and you get punished, grounded, your phone taken away from you or criticized, that back and forth energy does send a message that you are not loved unconditionally, that you are loved on the condition that you perform in this family. Whereas when kids are raised with, oh, you got straight A's, that's awesome. I'm so proud of the hard work you did. Oh, you got a D on that test. Oh, let's look at what happened there. How can we make that better the next time for the next test? Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a really big difference. And so for those of us who were raised in families that were like, you know, you've got to be this, 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 and that. You've got to do this activity and exceed at this sport and, and this school 
and you've got to look this way and smile that way. All of those pressures, and many of them, I think, are unspoken expectations. And I think sometimes those are the loudest expectations. Equally, if you grew up where you were the person that was airdropped into a family that might be a little bit harsh or a little bit more thick-skinned or a little bit less understanding of what it's like to be. Because I know even though I grew up with, with a family that was very open to intuition and mediumship and all of those things, it was still kind of a that North Boston harsh criticism, ridicule kind of humor, which if you're a sensitive person, that can be debilitating. So I think some of us that may have grown up in a situation where it was toughen up or you, you don't wear your heart on your sleeve, we may have brought more of a sense of needing to have perfectionism as a protection mode. Does that make any sense? It does. It does. I do think this idea, this belief, this illusion of perfectionism is a form of protection, like you said. I think it can also be a form of procrastination. Oh, yes. You know, I'm not going to start this. I'm not going to complete this. I'm not going to put this out into the world until it is exactly just so. That is spot on. And that's how my perfectionism manifests is I'll put it off, put it off, put it off, and then I'll like really buckle down and do it. And it's fine. But it's that self-doubt. It's that it's not going to be good enough. I'm not going to be able to finish this. And but putting that extra pressure and stress and anxiety from putting it off rather than breaking it down and saying, if I do a little bit now and then I can revamp it and then I can redo it. So that's a really, really good point. Yeah, and it ends up becoming a huge stumbling block into what we're actually trying to create and manifest for ourselves. I also think other causes of this need to be perfect it does stem from social media pressures, mm-hmm. illusions of perfect celebrities and role models, this feeling of everything, everyone else's life is perfect because all we're seeing is what people choose to put online and it's not actually real. Even some studies suggest that birth order can decide if you're going to be a perfectionist or not. For example, if you're the firstborn or the only child in a family, you have a much higher likelihood of chasing perfectionism. Huh. Yeah, which kind of makes sense because parents put their all into the first kid. By the time the second and third and fourth or fifth come along, you know, parents are tired and they've also become realist and they get that, okay, these children aren't lumps of clay that I can mold into my vision. These are actual people, individual unique beings that have their own wants and needs, talents and abilities. But for the firstborn or the only, often they have everything thrown at them. Mm-hmm. Not always, you know, not every only child or every oldest no. person, but it, it can be um, a trend. So if you're an empath and an only or an oldest, that would be a double whammy. Right, exactly. (laughs) Now, one of the keys, like if you're listening to this going, hmm, am I a perfectionist? Some people are perfectionist in certain areas of their life, but not every single category of their life. So some, some people might put a lot of stock in their appearance. And so they will be perfectionist in terms of fitness or the way they dress or present themselves. Other people might not give 
two cares about how they look. They're more about how much money they have in the bank. And so their perfectionism is more towards career and success and material worth. Others are perfectionist in their family and they put a lot of value in their home and their children and their pets and that whole image. So you might be a perfectionist in one area of your life, not all areas of your life. And I think it's important if that's you to look at why did I choose that one area? Why am I so obsessed with my body, my house, my job, my bank account? Like, what is that saying about me? Is that where I feel my worth comes from? Those are very, very good points. Some symptoms of being a, if you have tendency towards a perfectionist personality, a lot of times there's a low self-esteem issue. And it might be, am I finding my self-worth from what I do rather than who I am? And that's huge. And we've talked about this before as far as how we find value, whether it's through education or through how successful our business is or how, you know, what we're doing for other people, which ties in with another symptom of being a people pleaser. But it can also be exactly what you said, that high sensitivity to criticism and rejection, which can leave us feeling maybe a little worthless or failure or stupid. And those might be the messages we're giving ourselves because of being so sensitive to the criticism. You know, maybe that mistaken belief that you can somehow control the outcome if other people just see you as good enough or smart enough or pretty enough, which kind of goes hand in hand with some codependent stuff. It really does. And then, you know, that ability, inability to really go with the flow of life and let go and let go of the control. And that can sometimes be a catalyst for anxiety or depression because we're not allowing ourselves to really step into who we are, not what we do or how we present. And to enjoy all of those moments. I think perfectionists tend to live in the future. Being brave enough to make a mistake and know it'll be okay. And that's a hard one. Yeah, it really is. The main thing perfectionists need to work on is their own worth, because otherwise you're always going to be chasing after validation. And you have to ask yourself, who are you looking to get validated from? Strangers on the street, people you don't know online, your family, your parents, your boss, your partner, your kids, your pets, I don't know. Who are you seeking validation from? And why is their opinion worth more than yours? Where do you get your sense of worthiness in your life? Right. And for so many of us, it's through being of service. Yeah. Yeah. Which then leads down to a whole nother rabbit hole of being the fixer and the rescuer and the whole codependent thing you just brought up and not taking good care of yourself. Right. Which is huge. Very huge. Now, another thing that a lot of perfectionists do is they overemphasize their failures and they diminish their successes. I, I don't really consider myself a perfectionist, but I do that. Mm-hmm. Like if I make a mistake, I will think about it for a very long time. I'll go over it in my head. I'll think, how could I have done that? How could I have forgotten that? Why did I say that? But if I have like a really nice success, I'll have a hard time celebrating it. And I'll feel uncomfortable if other people mention it or celebrate it with me. And I'm trying really hard to work on that. Like, I don't know if you saw on Instagram, those lovely sisters, I'll maintain their anonymity. I think I just said that word wrong. That's okay. (laughs) 
those two lovely sisters who took our mediumship webinar. Oh, yes, yes. Yes, okay, and they sent us those lovely gifts. Yes. Well, mine just arrived on Saturday because I took so long sending her my address because I'm terrible with emails. Anyway, Saturday I was having, I was having a conversation with a friend who was really going through this issue. Like she's just feeling like she has not lived up to her worth. And she kept saying, I just really thought that by the time I reached this age, I'd be so much further along in life. And so as an empath, what I'm doing as I'm listening to her is empathizing and going, yeah, I kind of thought I would be too. And I thought this would happen. And she's like, yes. And I thought I'd be here. By the time I hung up the phone, I was like, oh, I don't feel very good. You know, like when, <laughs> so I go to my mailbox and there's this beautiful gift from the sisters and this awesome card. It, it was such a beautiful card where she just thanked us for, you know, helping her and her sister to open up to their abilities. And so I took a picture of it and I posted it on Instagram. I, I wasn't posting it on Instagram to be like, look at me and all the people who love the work I do. It was really rooted in that conversation I'd had with my friend where she was saying, we should be more successful by now. We should be this. I should be doing that. You should be doing this. And then I get this card that's basically saying, everything you're doing is more than enough. Mm -hmm. And so I posted it from that point of view. And the minute I posted it, I was like, oh, I need to take that down. That sounds braggy. Why would I do that? I don't want people to think I'm like, ooh, look at me. So that's my long story to say I have an issue celebrating my success. No, but that correlates beautifully with, and we've shared this with people in the class and with each other, is you'll be doing, you do five readings, four of them, you hit it, you're getting good links, people are happy, everyone's in tears, it's fabulous. That fifth reading sucks. So what do we focus on? We fit, oh, well, God, I really screwed that up. I, I mean, that wasn't a good reading. Why did, and we'll perseverate over on that one rather than celebrating those four or, you know, there's someone that I know who is an amazing, amazing uh, chef and will make these beautiful meals. And then if has a fit, they'll focus on, oh, that souffle was just off. It should have risen more. It wasn't enough lift. It wasn't. And they'll just focus. And, and again, these are highly sensitive people that I'm myself and this person that I'm relating to. So I think that that is kind of a form of perfectionism and kind of a form of uh, it, it ties in with everything that we're talking about. And part of it is the self-esteem, but part of it is also we don't have that buffer that we need. What do you mean by buffer? Well, I think we internalize everything and feel it all so deeply. And that sounds kind of arrogant. Oh. I don't mean it that way. But we want, and, but th that correlation between, you know, we're not supposed to make it about what we do. And it's more about who we are. But I think there's a fine line between what we're putting out there and what, because I'm, I'm kind of going in a circle with this. No, you're making sense. I know, I know exactly what you're saying. When, when you feel everything and you are so deeply connected to what other people are feeling, where's the barrier? Where's the buffer to protect us? from diving into all those thoughts and emotions, turning them inside out until we own them. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. getting in my head and getting those words <laughs> out. <laughs> well, another thing that perfectionists have such a hard time with in, in keeping with this idea of failure and success is highly sensitive people often don't receive criticism very well. Of course, I don't know anyone really 
who's like, well, thank you for putting down all the things I do wrong at work. That's been very helpful. I mean, do you know anyone who actually does that? No, but I know people who navigate it a lot better than I do. True. That's true. They just kind of shrug it off and think, well, yeah, I guess I could work on that. You know, I, I take criticism really well when I am not so invested in what I have done. Like, it, for example, I'm not a foodie. I, I could give a care about food, really, unless it's chocolate. So if I make a meal and someone eating it is like, this is good, but it could use more salt, or I think next time add more cheese. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I totally should have done that. And I don't care. Mm-hmm. But if I submit my writing somewhere and someone responds and says, this was good, but it hit the mark here, I carry that little knife in my heart for a good long time because I care so much about my writing. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. I now, was looking through this website. It's walkingthroughtransitions.com, and they made a perf- this little quote just really struck with me. What perfection it does is it's the knife to many of them are most original and most intuitive ideas. It takes the knife to it. It cuts it up. It chops up. So what we're giving birth to, what we want to bring into the world, and that, that goes hand in hand because a lot of empathic people are trying so desperately to tra- tap into their creativity. And if someone's listening to this and saying, no, I'm an engineer. I, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Well, that's kind of crap because you do. You just use it in a different way. Right. And I think that this this little note about perfectionism being that knife that cuts through it is a really good way to think about it. Yeah, I do too. Well, you know, it is just a strategy to remain in control. And I think when we start to realize that control is kind of an illusion in and of itself, I mean, what do we, there's very few things in our life that we actually have full control over. True. And I think when we start to realize that, we can start to let go of this fearful, anxious need to hold on and control each aspect of a certain situation until it is perfect and just so. I mean, again, at the heart of it is fear. But working on this issue as an empath, I think, is really, really important because being a perfectionist can have really debilitating effects on our emotions and on our personal and professional life. Because oftentimes what perfectionists will do is they'll put high expectations not only on themselves, but on others. And then they'll go through life feeling disappointed by people and experiences. Okay, for example, I won't use any names, but there's someone in my family. And growing up, I would always say to this person, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? Oh, I don't want anything I get enough all year long. Don't worry about it. And then I would actually believe that because, I don't know, I think when words come out of your mouth, it's actually the truth. (laughs) And then when the holiday or birthday would come around and I would submit like a homemade card or something, I would get my ass chewed out. So I think sometimes that's an extreme example. But do you know what I mean? Where like you'll have like like a boss who's like super not a good boss and they'll say something like here's your new project denise i want you to take this and run with it and you're and you're looking at the stack of papers going okay but where do i run how fast do Mm -hmm. i run when do you want me to run back with it you get no direction you come back with what you hope is right and they tell you it's totally wrong not what i expected at all you're 
you're doing this all wrong. Their vague, ex high expectations of you hurt you. It's hurting the job and then it's hurting your relationship with the boss. So when you are a perfectionist and you put high expectations on yourself, very often you will project those knowingly or not onto other people. And then that's going to damage your relationships with other people. That's incredibly true. Frightfully true. But that it's, also goes with when we suck every emotion up so strongly and we want to please and we want to do well and we want to present our best light. And then that criticism comes in with, because there's no lack of definition of where the, where the hell we're supposed to be going with something. And right. that can be in a relationship, that can be in a work situation, that can be in a, a friendship. Um, it, it covers the whole gamut. I have a good friend who is not a perfection. Like she doesn't have high expectations. She's a total realist. And I learn a lot from her. She's married to an engineer. He's a nice guy, but he, he just doesn't have a romantic bone in his body. He doesn't talk very much. He doesn't share emotions. He doesn't, he's just a good person, a loyal person. He, he shows his love through actions, he, mm -hmm. but he's not going to sit there and like wine and dine her and all of that. So in the beginning of her marriage, she said it, it really bothered her and he would forget anniversaries and, you know, things like that. So she was like, okay, I love him. He loves me. He's an amazing person. Okay. So he doesn't walk around, you know, quoting sonnets all day. So what she does is before her birthday or, you know, Mother's Day or holiday like Christmas or what have you, she will put it in his phone, like, like alert reminders. And then she writes down three things she'd like and says, pick one. So then she's, you know, she's stating her expectations very clearly. And she's not just hoping and assuming he'll get it right. I think that's a good approach. For okay. And it's also very kind to that man because my son who is wired like an engineer and will have these conversations and he has gotten to the point where he'll ask and he'll, he'll say, write me a note, tell me what I can do, tell me what I need to, to take care of because he wants to do it right. And that's his way of showing love and affection and loyalty is that he wants to make sure he's keeping the person that he cares about happy too but he doesn't think that way. He's not wired that way. No, but he will there's nothing wrong with that. No, but he will go above and beyond to make sure things are mechanically running well or that things are you know, taken care of on that level, which is his way of expressing love and, and compassion. And you're right. It, it's a, a learning curve, especially if you're an empath and you're in a relationship with someone who is wired that way. Right. Just having those lines of communication open and clear and have, if you do have expectations, state them clearly and put them in writing. So we're going to talk about some tips to overcome perfectionism. Uh, but before we do, we just wanted to take a moment and tell you guys about two classes that we have coming up. On September 6th, Denise and I are doing our Daytime Mediumship 101 webinar. It's already filling up really fast. I'm excited because we've got people from all over joining us for this Daytime class, Denise. So I just think that's really, really fun. And I love, I love meeting so many different people and watching uh, from the first class to the last and the, the camaraderie and the friendships, and but also just Get, having a safe place to learn the skill set is incredible. Yes. 
Yeah, I do too. And and so what you get in that class is you do get that sense of community. You receive a new partner each week to practice mediumship exercises with. We meet live every Friday during lunchtime from 12 to 1.30 p.m. Eastern time to talk about that week's topics and to discuss and share the exercise experiences with each other. You also will receive my two um, MP3 meditations on chakra guiding and clearance and meet your own spirit guide. You get at least like, I think it's 40 or 50 pages of handouts a week. It, it balances out to about that. There's a lot of, a lot of extraneous stuff. There's a lot of extras and we don't just teach to the handouts. So if you're worried no. that, oh, they're going to send me these handouts and then we're going to just talk about those. A lot of the handouts are for your own self-reflection or your own self-study. It's not the, the outline for the course itself. Right. And then at the end of the course, you're invited to join our closed Facebook group for anyone who has taken the mediumship classes. And I think that's been one of my most favorite outcomes of these webinars we've been teaching, Denise, to see them continue to connect and meet more like-minded people. Um, did you see one of our students is starting an artist way group? Yes. yes. I, think I actually spoke with her the other day and I'm trying to figure out how to fit it into my schedule. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. It's I saved it on my email list for the same reason. So I, I just really, really love that. So that is September 6th, uh, four Fridays in September. And then on September 12th, Thursday evening, I'm teaching my Be Your Own Psychic webinar. And in this course, it's the same format as the one Denise and I use where, you know, you, you do the webinar uh, live. You get to see me, I get to see you, ask questions, discuss, you're partnered up each week. Um, but this class is more focused on psychic skills and abilities. So we cover psychic tools, chakras, spirit guides, connecting with your angels. And we do partnership exercises that are more based on reading your partner rather than linking to the other side. I do want to stress, because we get a lot of emails asking this question, the Be Your Own Psychic webinar that I teach and the Mediumship 101 webinar that, Den that Denise and I teach together, these courses are designed for the beginner. So please don't feel like you need to, I don't know, be a professional reader to take these classes because that's not who this is geared toward. This is geared toward the person who thinks they might be intuitive, who may have had some precognitive dreams, who maybe are just really interested in all these subjects and want to learn more. And so everyone who takes this class, these classes are beginners. Um, oh, and I've got the card. I'm looking through my notes. I've got the card. So I just want to read what, quickly what these sisters said about the class. Uh, Denise and yourself held us up, stretched us past where we thought we could reach, taught us how to partner and lean on each other for support. We discovered things we did not know we could do. We will always have these tools now. You have both given us an amazing foundation. Like, isn't that why we do this? Oh, that's so lovely. I know. It made my whole week. I just love well, it. Well, they're lovely. Both they of are. Both are very lovely and, and really good mediums, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. So we hope you guys can join us for one or both of those webinars. It's, it's just really, really a great foundation, as I just read in that card, for jumping off into your world of intuition and linking in with the other side. In addition, if you have some time, 
please subscribe to our show on iTunes and review us. iTunes is doing something funky with their categories. So now our show is thrown into religion and spirituality. It used to just be spirituality, but now it's tossed in there with religion. So I don't know how people are going to find us because you'll, we'll never compete with like the Joel Olstein podcast. You know what I mean? No, nor should we. <laughs> no, nor totally should different, we. Right. Totally different. And, and someone mentioned that it's showing up as a double. The shows are listing doubled on iTunes right now, and we are working on that as well. Oh, that's strange. Yeah, it's so iTunes is doing something funky. So if yeah. you guys have some time and you can subscribe or leave us a review, I think it'll help us uh, get the momentum back that, that iTunes has kind of messed with. But we are also on um, iHeart and Spotify. And oh no! I, I'm sorry. YouTube, and Spotify. Oh yeah, we're all over the place. And if you just go online and Google "enlightened empaths," it's going to bring you to a whole bunch of different places where you can find us. Yes, exactly. And my website is samanthafay.com, and Denise's is thegratefulmessenger.com. De oh my gosh, Denise, you can edit this if you want. But I just think it's so funny that when you got your um. Yeah, hated card and it said the grateful mess. Yes, I laughed because I thought, you know, I'm not a hot mess, but I am really a grateful mess. And I have just, every time I look at it, I laugh because it says D. Carell, grateful mess. And I thought, yes, I am, damn it. <laughs> Which is a perfect antidote to perfectionism. Yes. We have to accept that sometimes we are a grateful mess and yes. that is okay. <laughs> That's brought me so much joy, as silly as it sounds. It, it's just every time it cracks me up. Me too. I, I have told that story to so many people. Okay, so one of the things that makes an empath so susceptible to perfectionism is that we notice everything. We notice details and specifics that other people don't see. Like, we'll see a small stain on our shirt or the smudge mark on a report we're turning in or we'll notice a minor spelling mistake or a trail of dust on the TV console. But we also see the needs of others when most miss these cues. We notice when a friend is looking sad. We pick up on the tightly hidden frustrations of a coworker, or we see if we say something and it makes our friend upset, we pick up on that. Even if the friend is like, no, no, it's totally fine. I, I get it. All of those subtle things that we are picking up on are making us hypersensitive to any illusionary flaws in our life and the lives of those around us. And that's when we start to look at our sensitivity as a strength and embrace your empathy, embrace your creativity, embrace the fact that you think about things really deeply. You make it more into a superpower rather than a debilitator. That's a really good point, to, to change the way you look at your sensitivity instead of, oh, you're so sensitive, and seeing it as, yeah, I'm so sensitive. It's, it's so great to be tuned in and to catch these things that other people miss. Yes. Now, here's, um, I just have a little quote from a website called sixseconds.org. They say researchers at York University studying the effects of perfectionism find that perfectionism limits people. Anxiety over mistakes may ultimately be holding some perfectionists back from ever achieving success in the first place. Do you know what perfectionists are less than perfect at? 
self-compassion. It's one of our biggest weaknesses. We fail to give ourselves the essential space to learn, grow, break, and heal. And I just thought that was such an important quote because that is the anecdote to perfectionism, is self-compassion. It, and it really, really makes a huge difference because when you treat yourself with compassion, physically it helps reduce stress. It helps you become more resilient. It also can help you really cope with that failure and criticism stuff. But when you, one of my things right now is self-acceptance, like truly accept yourself as you are, where you are, who you are, and just find a way to embrace that without comparison, without self-doubt or criticism, because I think that's the key for so many of us to be able to go to the next level and do what we came here to do. But until we can reach that place of self-acceptance, we're going to keep going around that barn until uh, we wear ourselves out. And love ourselves proudly with all the grateful mess that we are <laughs> and all the potential that we can be. There's one memory that stands out when I think of that. After I, you know, I had three kids in four years, so I was not rocking a bikini body when my kids were young, right? Nor am I now, I should add, but definitely not then. I still had my baby weight and I felt shameful about it. Mm -hmm. I really did. I felt there were so many images. I mean, and my mom was actually a really big help then because she was, my mother was always, you know, thin and always into her fitness and body and all of that. And she would say to me after I had all these kids and was dealing with the extra weight, she said, I feel so bad for you girls today because when I was having kids, it was kind of an anomaly to be back in your genes, you know, within a, a year or two of having your child. And she right. said, now you look at TV and magazines and you're supposed to be back in your pre-pregnancy genes in six weeks. It's insane. Mm -hmm. So I'm wearing my little Land's End skirted swimsuit to the beach every day with my three little babies. And of course, my dear friend is a fitness teacher and is rocking her bikini body. And she had three kids in four years. Our kids are exactly the same ages. Mm -hmm. So she's in this tiny little bikini with eight packs of apps. I mean, like it's her, her physique is amazing and she works at it. She should have it. So anyway, my middle daughter starts kindergarten with her best friend, my friend's daughter, and the teacher had them draw what, what did you do this summer? So she and her friend draw a picture of all of us at the beach because that's basically what we did was go to the beach every day. And they both drew all six of them and then the two moms. And they put my friend in this little tiny bikini with like the three triangles and then me in a black dress, like to my ankles. <laughs> I swear my skirted swimsuit did not look like that. But this is how these two five-year-olds drew it. And of course, the teacher hung it up outside the classroom, you know, oh. as they do. And I remember going to curriculum night and staring at that and going, oh, my God. Like, first of all, I need to stop wearing that bathing suit. Second of all, what message am I sending to my children? Right. That when you aren't perfect, you hide it? And right. so I never wore a skirted swimsuit again. And nor should you. Well... <laughs> I don't well, know. Some people no. might go, put that skirt back on, lady. But, but that's I a didn't. cultural thing for the states, too. That's a, a United States cultural thing. because That's true. In other 
Old Orchard Beach in Maine, we have a lot of uh, international people come. It's a, it's a very touristy spot, and people will come from other countries that may be overweight or less than perfect bodies, and they're wearing thongs, they're wearing mini bathing, and they, they're comfortable. They're, it's summer, it's hot, this is what you wear. But people who aren't used to other cultures who are more accepting of their physical shape will ridicule and condemn and say, ooh, she's too fat to be wearing that. Or what is he thinking wearing that, that Speedo? Because it's not our culture. Right, right. Um, one of the well, things that, that I, when I was doing affirmations, and I do, every day that I journal, I end with affirmations and a lot of them are the same. And for a while, one of them was just, I'm enough, I am worthy, I'm as deserving as anyone else for a life of joy, adventure, love, and travel. Whatever it is, just like get that in your head, make it a mantra, make it something that you start to believe that you are as deserving and that you are enough and that you are worthy. And sometimes you might write it or say it and it's just rote and you don't feel it. And other times it will really resonate with your heart and you'll say, wow, I really am. And these are things that are important to me and I deserve it. But I think adding in that I'm as deserving as really cuts the comparison tie a lot. And it allows you to say, I, I deserve this. I deserve to be treated with respect and dignity, or I deserve, you know, this job or this relationship or whatever. It, that's, we need to be kind to ourselves. Yes. We need to kill the inner critic in our head. Yes. We really, really do. I've actually done meditations for myself where I will talk to the inner critic and I will say, you have done a great job for me. Because really, sometimes it is nice to have an inner critic. Without my inner critic, I wouldn't be motivated to do this show. Mm -hmm. You know, like it does motivate you to push yourself beyond your comfort zone and do things that you came here to do. And so I did this and I've done this a couple of times and I'll sit down with my little inner critic and I will say, thank you so very much for all that you have done for me, but your services are not needed at this time. So I'm going to give you a vacation. <laughs> and I just imagine my little inner critic going on vacation with her little scowly face and off she goes. Sometimes just giving a visual to it can help. The other thing I do is I love that mantra. It was created by um, a spiritual teacher in the early 1900s. I cannot remember his name off the top of my head, but the mantra he created is every day and every way I am getting better and better. Mm -hmm. And so many psychologists over the years have done studies and they have agreed that that's one of the best mantras you can say every day and every way I am getting better and better at night. One of the things I do when I was a kid, I used to have a lot of worries and anxieties and I would call them the worry men. I would say like these worries would just visit me like, like people coming to sit at the end of my bed and they would go, you know, what about that math? quiz. What about that paper you haven't started? And so one of the things I do before I fall asleep is I'll go over some of my worries. I'll go over my to-dos for the next day. I'll go over the to-dos for that day that I didn't get to. And I will just say, Samantha, did you do your best today? Did you do your best? And 99% of the time I did do my best. It wasn't the best, but it was my best. Mm -hmm. given the parameters of that day. And I think that's a really important difference that has started to help teach me to be more compassionate with myself. I've shared this before on the show, but I think it's worth repeating is a really quick exercise to help reframe that is to take your dominant hand, the hand you usually write with and write down 
whatever scathing thing that you're putting through your head of not being enough or not being worthy or not, I really messed that up. And then take your non-dominant hand and write a response to that. And what it does is it clicks right you right back into it because you have to concentrate like you're a little kid when you're using your non-dominant hand, unless you're ambidextrous. But, and it really makes you slow down and focus. And I did that once with some things. And it immediately, because you're struggling to form the letters, it's making you slow down. It's making you look at it. And when I was done, I thought, oh, my God, I would never, ever talk to anyone the way I talk to myself. I would never be that that demanding that controlling or that cruel with someone else with the expectations that I'll hold for myself. But it took switching to that inner child writing back to me about what it felt because it will make you, it will help you. Nothing can make you feel. That's my, my mantra is it will help you reconnect with your own inner knowing and that little girl or little boy inside of you that is fragile and gentle and kind and that's what we're trying to bring back when we're being so harsh with ourselves. If we can tap back into that little person, it can, it really, it helps a lot. I couldn't agree more because really, if you think about it, you might be surrounded by a wonderful family, friends, a supportive system at work. But at the end of the day, it's ourselves that we live with. It's us. We, we ourselves is all we have. You know what I mean? Like we're born with ourselves. We die with ourselves. You have to be nice to yourself because it's you. It's you. That's, that's the vehicle you're in. You've got to be nice to yourself. And we teach people how to treat us. And if we mm -hmm. are treating ourselves poorly, we are subconsciously sending out a message to everyone around us that it's okay to treat us that way as well. Yeah. So it's, it's an important life skill if not the most important life skill, to learn to have compassion with yourself. Something else I wanted to bring up is this tradition in many cultures throughout art to add an imperfection into the artwork you are doing. Like, for example, Hopi and a lot of other Southwestern Native Americans will deliberately sew a flaw or an imperfection into their work as a reminder that we aren't perfect, only God is. Mm -hmm. The Amish will do that as well. Yes, they do that with um, a lot of quilters do yes. that and they call it um, a spiritual. No, I'm, I'm sorry. It's called a humility block. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a neat idea. In, in jewelry, they will add a flawed bead or pattern into it and they'll call it the spirit bead. Even the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. was built with small architectural flaws that illustrate that God is only perfect. I did not know that our National Cathedral had some flaws. I did not know that either. Yeah. The ceiling that arches over the main aisle, it doesn't meet uh, perfectly in the center. It's off access. And then the, the choir stalls along the nave of the church are not uh, perfectly aligned. In Japan, this is called wabi-sabi, where they deliberately put an imperfection into their art. It's been practiced since the 16th century. And... Their view is more the way they come at the wabi-sabi. It's, it's to remind us that there is beauty in imperfection. So our goal as empaths is when we complete the needlework or the quilt or the table or the painting or the project is to focus on 
wow, look how successful I was to complete this, not, oh my damn it, look at that stitch that's in the wrong place. Exactly. And, and I do love that was it, what's, what is it again? The wabi-sabi. I'm probably wabi saying it wrong, but phonetically, no, but how that's... how fun is that? How fun is that? That's a great little word to play with. Yeah. Yeah, anytime you mess up, just go, oh, wabi-sabi. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I will. <laughs> Well, and I think it's important, too, to kind of push yourself even when you don't feel comfortable with your imperfections. Like you guys might know from listening to the show, I love to draw and paint. Am I good at it? No, but I love to do it. And I remember I did this one little drawing that I really, really loved, and it had one of my favorite quotes on it. It's the impossible, you know, just the word says I'm possible. You know that quote? Yes. So I did that and I wanted to make it into cards and so that I could use that when I was like sending thank yous to clients and whatnot. So I take it to Kinko's and I'm like, hey, I'd like to turn this, you know, little drawing into a card. How do I do that? And she goes, oh my gosh, this is so adorable. How old is your daughter? <laughs> oh, Denise, I wanted to like crawl out of that store. And instead of saying, oh, actually, no, I'm in my 40s and I did that. I said, she's seven. Aren't, I'm so proud of her. <laughs> but I still do my little drawings and I've started posting them on Instagram, even though I know they're not great. It's just my way of saying, who the F cares? This, right. is, this is how I have fun. This is how I enjoy my off time. Here it is. Here I am, world, except me with all my beautiful imperfections. And I think it's good for every one of us to do that, to just put ourselves out there even when we don't feel perfect. Right. And, and to reframe things that we might see as mistakes, as opportunities. They're not failures. They're opportunities. They're stepping stones. They're helping us get to that next level. Yes, exactly. Reevaluating your perceived failures is a really good strategy to start to hack away at perfectionism. Also starting to focus on the big picture, especially if you're trying to work on letting go of a bad habit. Like let's say you're trying to eat healthier and you're doing great for six, seven days. And then on that eighth day, you eat a lot of cookie dough. Gee, I have no idea what that would be like, but let me try and imagine. <laughs> And then you feel so bad about yourself. Look at the big picture and focus on the fact that you did really, really great for six or seven days and think, okay, bad day, but tomorrow I'll be back on it. So trying to refocus on the overall goal that you are trying to attain and not nitpick yourself for the little failures and challenges along the way. It's also a good idea to look at how you handle challenges in the past. When you had obstacles in your way, when you had perceived failures, how did you handle it then? And start to pat yourself on the back more for how you did handle some challenges. How did you navigate yourself out of that and go, you know, that was really hard looking back on it, and I, but I did it. I made my way out of that. And if I did that then, I can do this now. And it's also a really good tool to fight perfectionism and to honor yourself is to slow down. Take the time for yourself, even if it's five minutes alone, but also take time for the transitions between aspects of your life. So what, you're a good example, Samantha. You drive, your, your hands are glued to the steering wheel 
a lot of hours of the week. But from what we've chatted about, you found ways to fill that time with listening to things that are inspirational, with taking times to sort things out in your calendar, to like you being useful at the time, but it's also a quiet, reflective time. So working those little aspects into your day can make a huge, huge difference in uh, always having that bar so high that you can never jump over it. Yes, slowing down. And if you think, well, I'm, I'm not a huge fast-paced person. I don't really need to work on that. Try whatever your anxious time is. Some people are anxious in the morning, some mid-afternoon. Most, I think, are anxious at the end of the day. Would you agree? Like as they're laying in bed and trying to fall asleep. Try listening to a guided hypnosis meditation and see how your body reacts. If you're laying in bed and you're listening to someone say, and now unclench your fist and relax your jaw and, and you're kind of fighting it or your head is racing, that's a sign that you're going too fast through the world emotionally. I don't even mean physically. And don't judge yourself if you can't relax and focus on the meditation. Just, just take it as a reminder of, oh, I need to do more of this, maybe in smaller chunks, but start getting into that pace of just slowing my mind down. Because I think so many empaths live in their head a lot of the time. And so it's not just slowing down the pace of your daily life, but slowing down the pace of your mind and your thinking life. I did that in the middle of the day the other day, which I don't usually do. I had all this stuff out of the blue, unexpected, very stressful. And then I thought, Denise, take a step back. And I had put Insight Timer. It's a free app. You can put it on your phone. And I found like a quick little 15-minute, very beautiful nature sound kind of thing. And I put in my earbuds and I listened to, I just did deep breathing and I listened to it for 15 minutes. It changed the whole course of my day. And it was 15 minutes and I could have stopped it halfway through. I could have listened to more, but it was exactly what I needed to reframe my and get off that stress wheel. That's perfect. And that's an easy thing to do. We all have 15 minutes. It might not feel like that some days, but we really do. You also want to keep working on a goal even when it's not living up to your expectations. Like think about that quote that is sometimes attributed to Aristotle, but I think someone else said it. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. So if you're working on a goal, if you're working on getting a new job or working on a health or fitness goal or just working on being more loving to yourself and you stumble into some challenges, keep working at it. Even if the picture isn't coming out exactly as you expected, sometimes just finishing the race is all you need to do. Very, very good to remember. I also think it's important to talk about your failures with kids. If you have children and you have perfectionist tendencies, I think children learn from that mm-hmm. and they pick up on that. But if you talk about your failures with your kids, it helps them to feel better about themselves and it breaks that cycle. I, I have found that my kids crave my <laughs> funny failure stories. Like they'll <laughs> ask me <laughs> to tell them all the time. Mom, tell us about the time you walked into late walked into school late on your first day of high school and the principal stopped the entire assembly to stare at you and point out that that's an example of why you shouldn't be late to school. Oh, well that's hell for an empath. Yeah, I know. They love that story. And <laughs> and fortunately, I have a lot of stories like that to share with them, but it makes us laugh and it makes my kids realize that 
you know, look at mom, she's okay. And she had these stumbling blocks and she survived. I will too. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to model that for our kids. You also want to try to make friends with criticism. Practice getting comfortable with criticism and learn to reframe it in a positive light. I think you should practice that first with yourself. Start going over in your head, like, where am I most critical of myself? And then examine those criticisms and ask, are these true? Because some of them might be true. Right. You actually might be a Mm know-it-all. You actually might talk too much. That might be true. You actually might not be open enough to get out of the house and interact with people in a more social way or whatever it is that you're criticizing yourself about. You might actually need to lose this amount of weight or get into shape with this, or you might actually need to quit smoking or whatever it is. Be honest about it, but then reframe it. Okay, yeah, so I need to stop being a know-it-all. What can I do about that? And how has being a know-it-all served me in the past? How did that make me feel safe? So that you're more gentle with that criticism of yourself. That's beautifully, beautifully stated. Is it? So, so important. I think it could be more perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And on that happy note. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Finally, really practice nurturing yourself as you monitor your inner voice. Schedule time off for yourself. And remember, what we are after here is progress, not perfection. I, re- I have one quick story before we end. I was, com- I was doing a meditation, trying to link in with my guide, and I was really, really frustrated over a situation I'd been working on for a long time that just wasn't getting anywhere. And in my meditation, he shrugged his shoulders and he goes, Meh, you can finish it in the next lifetime. Like, don't worry about it. If you don't, if you don't tackle this karmic goal in this lifetime, you can do it again. And it was mm-hmm. just this reminder of, We're not here to be perfect. We're here to make progress on our lessons. We're here to make progress on our purpose. We're here to make progress on our mission. We aren't here to be perfect. Nobody is expecting us to be perfect except ourselves. Well, we hope this has given you all something to think about. If you are struggling with perfectionism in your own life, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any stories or tips or examples of how you worked on this skill in your own life, please email them to us, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com, or message us on our Facebook page, Enlightened Empaths, because we'd love to hear from you. And hopefully we will be able to share it in our next Community Connection Show, which will be coming up uh, soon this month. In the meantime, we hope you always remember to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care, everyone.